0: Well, we are on a little break from 1 Corinthians. We're doing this series we call Creed as we work through the Apostles' Creed. Pastor Jared did an amazing job over the last couple of weeks launching us into it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Of course, not everybody loves it. Uh, Because uh, when we talk about Creed, what we're talking about is doctrine. We're talking about theology. And some people would respond by saying something like, Listen, I I don't care about doctrine. I just want to love God. Great. Great. Well, let me ask you a few questions. Who is God? You're going to love him? Who is he? What is he like? Is he worthy of your love? What's it mean to love him? What happens if you love him? What happens if you don't love him? I'm pretty sure none of us have loved him enough. So are we okay with God? Is God okay with us? you also said you don't care about doctrine and theology who gets to decide what you care about you or God that statement I don't care about doctrine I just want to love God you understand that is a theologically dripping statement it's packed with theology it's huge so somebody says well no 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 what I mean is I just worship God in my own way oh great so you have a made-up religion Is what you just said there. And listen, at the end of the day, you either have a made-up religion or one given to us by God. And that reminded me of the third verse in the letter from Jude where he encouraged them. He said, Contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. He didn't make this up, this was delivered to us, and he tells us to know it and to contend for it, to contend for that faith. And that is why we are looking at the Apostles' Creed. It is ancient. One of the very first formulations of what we believe as Christians from around 120 to 150 AD, we're not really sure. But it's this summary of Christian beliefs, of doctrine, the bare essentials. Maybe you've noticed so far it's structured around the Trinity. It works through the Trinity. By the way, don't miss this. The benediction that we use here every week is structured around the Trinity. That's not by accident. That's quite intentional. Pastor Jared did a great sermon last week about the Trinity. Today I have the privilege of talking about Jesus, but I need to start with the Trinity. See, one of the interesting things about God is that he progressively revealed himself through story. Like if you open your Bible at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 doesn't start out with the Apostles' Creed. Right? It doesn't. It starts out with a long story. Listen, the Bible is the text from which we get our theology. But the Bible does not read like a theology Text. That's why it's very helpful to have summaries, statements like the Apostles' Creed. So, when Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years ago, what was happening is God was increasing the story. He was increasing this progressive revelation about who He is. And we ended up learning some things. So, for example, we learned that Jesus is God. Pastor Jared talked about that last week. I'll develop that a little bit more this week. Second bullet, we already knew the Father as God. Okay, that, that was pretty secure. But we'll also learn that the Holy Spirit is God. That, that's next week. Okay, great. So, so now we've got these three or are God, So we either have three gods, or maybe maybe we have one God, one person, who's just swapping costumes, identities, Okay, well, no, the next bullet point, there are three distinct eternal persons. Pastor Jared told you the term modalism. So we, we you know, Patrick, that's modalism, Patrick. If you know, you know. If you don't know, go Google it. It's a great video. Love it. Hilarious. But so we have three distinct eternal persons and one God. Very clear from the scriptures. Only one God. All right, look over those five bullets. Listen, if you have those five bullets, as we do in the scriptures, you have the Trinity. That's what that is. Interestingly, the word Trinity is never used in the Bible. What that is, that is a summary statement that takes what is taught in the Bible and summarizes it much like the Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed is not in the Bible, but it is a summary of what is in the Bible. Now, having... Refocused on the Trinity. One common mistake that is sometimes committed is this. We act like the Trinity just busted onto the scene 2,000 years ago. Like when Jesus showed up, that's when we got the Trinity. No, that's not the way it works. Give you a few data points. The Hebrew word for God. So when you read the Old Testament, it was actually written in Hebrew. Uh, The Hebrew word for God is Elohim. Elohim. Elohim is a plural noun. Oh, so there's multiple gods. Oh, time out. It's always used with a singular verb. It is both plural and singular. Huh, how about that? That's Old Testament. In fact, when you go into Genesis chapter 1, where it talks about God creating mankind, God said, let us, plural, let us make man in our image and then he made him in the image of the one God. Plural, singular. And so it's not just that the Father's in the Old Testament. From the second verse of your Bible, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. There's the Holy Spirit. What about Jesus? Is Jesus in the Old Testament? <laughs> All right, listen. I Remember, we've been going through First Corinthians. And before we hit pause so that we could do a series like this, we left off in, in chapter 10. I don't know if you remember this from chapter 10, but man, I don't want you to miss it. Paul was writing to them, he was talking about how Moses led the Jews out of slavery, the Exodus. Remember that? Led the Jews out, this is Old Testament stuff. And here's what he said. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. The one following the Jews through the Exodus providing them with water. That was Christ. He goes on to say in verse 9, he says, We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. When the Jews put God to the test, they put Christ to the test. That's Old Testament. Now, I could go on into Isaiah and on and on. Just here's my point. God is eternal. God is unchanging. The Trinity didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. So what did happen 2,000 years ago? Glad you asked. Now we're back to the Apostles' Creed. Uh, This is about Jesus, and it is the majority of the Creed. And I'm not going to read it right now. We're going to go through it line by line. Okay? And the first line, of course, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Now, what happened 2,000 years ago is that God came. It refers to Jesus as the Lord, which means that the one who came was no angel, not some prophet, not a super saint or some lesser God. God Himself, one of the persons of the Trinity. We call Him God the Son, after his birth, an angel said, name him Jesus. So he got the name Jesus. Sometimes we refer to him as the second person of the Trinity. God the Father is the first, God the Son second, God the Holy Spirit third, the second person of the Trinity. But of course, understand, it's not like God's in heaven with t-shirts on that says thing one, thing two, and thing three, right? Like that. That's just, that's not a thing, right? So, uh, but they're labels we came up with, but they're, they're handy, they, they help us a little bit. So one of the things to chew on then is why is it that it was the second person of the Trinity that came and took on flesh in Jesus? Why not God the Father? Why not God the Spirit? And when we study the scriptures, one of the things we learn about the second person of the Trinity is that he is also called the Word of God. What's a word? It's a communication. Uh, Among the three persons of the Trinity... Jesus is the front man. He's the PR guy, the the face with the place, the communicator. And that's why in the Old Testament, the rock was Christ. So when you see God showing up in some physical manifestation, scholars believe that's not only a theophany, that is a Christophany, meaning that's Jesus. The Father sends, the Son goes, the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus is the one who would come. So what we're saying then is that we Christians actually believe that around 2,000 years ago, there was a dude who walked on the face of planet Earth who was actually God in the flesh, which is insane to believe. You get that's weird and crazy, right? Unless it's true. Unless it's true. And so here's a bit of evidence from Jesus. Some will be like, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Great. Let's look at John 8, 58 through 59. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, at the time, he's debating with some Jewish scholars. And all the Jews love Abraham. Abraham's their father. They look to Abraham. Abraham's great. And Jesus says, listen, you've got to understand, before Abraham was, I was. It's not actually what he said. We'll come to it. But he says, listen, I, Abraham, I existed before Abraham. That's like, I, wait, how old are you, dude? Like, no, he... But notice what he said. Before Abraham was, I am. That is... Yahweh, the great I am. That is the Jehovahistic identity of God. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. So they reached for rocks to stone him to death as a heretic because he was claiming to be God. God taking on human flesh and walking among us. He, uh, Pastor Jared mentioned some of these things. He claimed to forgive sins in only a way that God can. Uh, he was worshipped. As God remember Thomas after the resurrection fell at his feet and proclaimed my lord and my god when Jesus didn't correct him The point is that Jesus is either God or a heretic or a demon You got to make your choice In fact, that reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. You know, C.S. Lewis is my boy, and I love reading his stuff. Mere Christianity is probably my favorite book of his, and this is a quote from it. I've given it to you before. I guarantee you I will give it again, and it's a good long one, but here we go. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend it to. That's my boy, Clive Staples, right there. Which, by the way, if, if my name was Clive Staples, I'd go by CS as well. I, can't, I understand. I get it. I get it. So crystal clear. It was very clear to the early church. They had a very firm belief in the deity of Christ. And throughout 2,000 years of Christian church history, with very rare exception, they always understood and worshipped Jesus as God. In fact, when the church would wrestle with, how is, how is this Jesus guy fully God and fully man? Like, that's tough to understand. How does that go together? They would always assume his deity, and if they wrestled with anything, they diminish his humanity. There's no question about his divinity. Of course, he is also fully human, and that gets us back to the creed, because that's the next line. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So God came, but listen, the way he came is very significant. You understand, like God could have shown up at any time in his manifest glory. And listen, if we are in an unredeemed state and God shows up, we're dead, done, it's over. We got no hope. But God didn't come to destroy. God came to save. But but the way he's got to go about that's interesting. Listen, the rebellion, the sin... Was humanities. That's our problem. It's humanity's problem. Humanity must pay the price. The Savior must be human. Time out. The problem's way too big. The problem can't be paid by any one human. It can't be paid by all humanity. God must pay. The Savior must be God. The Savior must be human. The Savior must be God. The Savior must be human. The Savior must be God, so the God-man Jesus Christ. That's why he took on flesh. Oh, but there's a snag. If God is born human, you see, the way we got this sin problem was our father Adam. Adam went into rebellion and sin, and every descendant of Adam's is born in depravity, in broken relationship, stained by sin. Everyone born of Adam has a death penalty to pay for their own sin. So, if Jesus is born as a descendant of Adam, we have a problem. Jesus has to die for his own sin. He can't be our substitute. So how is he going to be born a human, but without inherited sin from Adam? Virgin birth. It's not like some expendable doctrine. That's why it's in the Apostles' Creed. It's important. It's also ridiculous because <laughs> I know biology. Anyone else takes health class? Know how this thing works, right? Like it requires a sperm, right? <laughs> it's Father's Day. I'll give you a little side note here. Uh, when my kids come over to our house, I often call them my sperm just to freak them out because that's a dad's job, right? To mess with his kids and make them feel awkward and gross, right? What's well, up, my sperm? They hate it. They hate it, right? <laughs> the reality is that uh, we know it takes a sperm. How many teenage moms want to claim a virgin birth? Right? Like, I swear I didn't have sex. I don't know how it happened. Stop. Stop, right? It's silly. It can't happen. It's impossible. Listen, listen. God spoke and flung the entire universe out of nothing into existence, do you really think a zygote is going to trouble him? Right? Like the one who exploded the whole universe into existence? I know it's a miracle. Miracles are by definition rare. And so yes, a virgin birth happened once in human history. It's rare, but it's not more difficult for God. He didn't strain on that one. That's on the low shelf for God. So the virgin birth... Therefore, Jesus is not only God, but human, but he doesn't have a sin problem to pay on his own. Therefore, he can be our substitute. And so then he grew up and he went on. He had amazing ministry, teaching the kingdom of God, living and displaying the kingdom of God, that it would be love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and blessing. Oh, and he welcomed the messy. He welcomed the marginalized. So we killed him. Unbelievable. I mean, you see the next line there. It says, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. That one's weird too. When you read the creed, there are only three human beings mentioned in the creed. And they're all on the screen right now. The first one, don't miss it, is Jesus. Yes, he's fully God, but he's fully human. So Jesus is mentioned as a human in the creed. Uh, Then you also have Mary. Mary's mentioned. So Jesus, Mary, and... Who just said Joseph? Stop! Jesus, Mary, and jo- no, no. Who's the other human? Is it Paul? No. Is it Peter? No. Is it Moses? No. It's Pontius Pilate. The guy's a jerk. How does he be, get to be one? The third human being mentioned in the creed. And the reason why is because we have an historical faith. Christianity is not just some moral code. It's not just some made-up belief. It is an event that happened in history. And if Jesus didn't die and rise, it's junk. Get rid of it. Don't come to church. But if it happened, it's everything. And so, go figure, they put a, an historical marker in there to say this happened at the time of Pontius Pilate. It's history. It's history. It actually happened. That's why Pilate gets mentioned well, what happened when he suffered on Pontius Pilate? You know the next line there. He was crucified, died, and was buried. Jesus died in our place for our sins to buy our forgiveness from God, to pay our penalty. And it had to be God. Think about it. The task Christ had was to bear the overwhelming wrath of God toward all sin, for countless people. (laughs) No mere angel or human being is going to pull that one off. God had to do what only God could do. Therefore, if Jesus is not God, we have no salvation, we have no restored relationship with God, and we can count on a very hot eternity. But if if Jesus is God, we can be saved. Praise him for what he did. Uh, the next line uh, is crossed out. He descended into hell. I even put it in brackets to, to like make it really clear, like this doesn't go in there. Now I know over the last couple weeks, some of you probably wrestled. When we're reciting the creed, you started, he descended, they didn't say that part. and You were like thrown off a little bit, right? Let me explain. So, some of you are like, they can't change the creed. Oh, we can change it back. The original Apostles' Creed did not include that line that Jesus descended into hell. It's not in the original. It was added later. Didn't know know that, did you? It's kind of important. See, it's not taught in scriptures that Jesus descended to hell. It's not in the scriptures. As well, when they would develop later creeds, like, for example, the Nicene Creed, which is parallel to the Apostles' Creed, it just develops it a little bit more and gives more color and explanation. There's no mention in there that he descended into hell. It's definitely not a core essential belief of Christianity. Therefore, it does not belong in the Apostles' Creed. I'm sorry to step on the toes of some of your childhood religion. Please apologize to your mom for me. Sorry, not sorry. It doesn't go in there, right? Well, that's enough on something that's not in there. Let's go to the next line about what is in there. It says next, The third day he rose again from the dead. Which means Jesus literally, bodily, physically rose from the dead. Like really, he rose from the dead in victory. Now why? Two reasons. Number one is proof of his identity. Like so, so when Jesus rises from the dead, we go, okay, maybe we should listen to everything he just said. What, what did he say about himself? He just proved who he is. Everything he said about himself, evidently true. He rose from the dead, he's got great, He's got game. The other reason he rose from the dead is it's the receipt. It's the proof of purchase. So the purchase was on the cross. He paid for our salvation. When he rose from the grave, that's the proof of purchase. It's real. He conquered death. And it says up there uh, specifically the third day he rose from the dead, which is kind of a weird little detail to sneak in there. There's two reasons for that. Number one, the Jews had the belief that the, the spirit would hover over a dead body for about two days. And then on the third day, it would depart. So by the third day, you're like really dead. Any Princess Bride fans? Mostly dead. Like for the first couple days, you're mostly dead. Third day, you're dead, right? So God is making a point and he delays the resurrection till the third day. So you understand he was dead, dead, and he conquered death and rose from the grave. And um, uh, again, uh, it proves his identity because Jesus predicted on the third day he would rise and that's exactly what he did. And then it says that he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The Bible's weird about this. Like over and over, Jesus ascended and sat down. He sat down, he sat down at God the Fa- uh, right hand of God the Father. Why did he sit down? Listen, when the work's done, you sit down. And Jesus hung on that cross and he said, It is finished. And so when he ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And right now, his role is as our advocate, which means today uh, you're probably going to sin. Tomorrow you're probably going to sin. And does Jesus have to re-die for that? No. It is finished, and he sits there next to the Father, and he says, don't worry, Father, I paid for that. I paid for that. My blood covered that. That one belongs to me. That's covered. Paid, 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 paid. He's our advocate. But the story's not over. Because the last line says, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. From, he ascended to heaven, and from there he's going to come, Again, his return, he's coming back. And at that time, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will bow in worship. Some will bow in abject humiliation, submission to Christ. Everyone will bow. King Jesus at that time, it says he will judge. He's the judge. He will judge everyone. Living and dead. Those alive at the time, those previously dead, everyone, meaning you will be judged by Jesus and I will be judged by Jesus. That day is coming. And that's the Apostles' Creed about Christ. Now, the question I come to next is, well, that's ducky, but is it true? Is it biblical? Listen, hear me clearly. We do not believe... In the Apostles' Creed. I'll say it again. We do not believe in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the Bible. And it so happens that the Apostles' Creed is a great summary of the core Christian beliefs found in the Bible. Therefore, by surrogate, we believe in the Apostles' Creed, but only because it's biblical. So. Let's listen to the Bible. Let's go to the Word of God and see what it says. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Remember, he's the communicator for God. He's the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wait, wait, what? He's God, but he's with God. Trinity. Trinity. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, it's almost redundant in in helping you catch. You understand, like a lot of times when we think of creation, we think God the Father did it. But what we read here is, no, that was actually Jesus that did the creation part. What? Okay, but but let me show you a great cross-reference from Isaiah 44. Verse 24 says this. Thus says the Lord. Now, Lord's in all caps because that's Yahweh, the proper name of God, the great I Am. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am Yahweh, who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Yahweh... Did creation by himself and all alone, and turns out Jesus did creation. Guess who's Yahweh? All three of the members of the Trinity, actually. Jesus is God. So, and then we'll go, let's go back to John 1 and, and look at this. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Worship Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Okay, so no one's ever seen God. So we understand from the scriptures that God is spirit, and therefore he's invisible. He doesn't have physical form. And so, when God said, you know what, I want to help them see who I am, I'm going to give them a human representation of God. So, you know, the, you remember the invisible man? Remember how, like, you can't see him? And so, what he would do is he would take cloths and wrap them around him and put on clothes? That's what God did. He wrapped human flesh around Jesus so that we could see who God is. In fact, that's really well captured in one of my favorite passages about Jesus. I'm going to share with you this passage out of Colossians chapter 1. And and I just want you to pause for a second. Uh, At first service, I, I got choked up and almost couldn't get through it. It's gorgeous. I want you to soak this in. I want you to feast on this. I want you to know I'm about to tell you about our Lord Jesus. This is huge. Here's what it says. See, I highlighted the word preeminence. It's to have preeminence in everything, which means everything's about, it's supposed to be about Jesus. So it reminded me, uh, when I do a wedding, you know, there's always the wedding rehearsal the day before. And at almost every wedding rehearsal, there's a moment where I say, listen, we got the bride and the groom right here. I'm not going to talk to them for a moment. I want to talk to all the family and friends that are a part of the wedding. You're here at the rehearsal. That's great. Thanks for being here. Uh, Let me help you understand something. Tomorrow is not about you. Because when you have a role in a wedding, even though you're not the bride or the groom, like there's this tendency to want to make it about you, right? Like how do I look? Where do I stand? Do I like my role? Do I like how this thing's being done? You've heard of bridezilla, right? Here's what they don't tell you about in seminary. There's also maid of honorzilla. There's mother of the bridezilla. There's cousin Harryzilla. Like there's lots of zillas. And I tell them there's a reason why I plan the wedding ceremony with the bride and the groom. Because tomorrow is about them. And so we want to show up and say, are the bride and groom happy with what's going on? How do they look? Do they like their stuff? It's not about you. And we got to remember that with Jesus. We do it, Luke. We act like Jesus came into existence 2,000 years ago, and the reason he showed up was to save my sorry soul. That's why Jesus exists. It's about me. (laughs) No, nothing could be further from the truth. Try this for a moment. I want you to picture Jesus in your mind right now. Get an image of him in your head. My guess is you're probably going to something from the chosen or the passion of the Christ or Jesus hanging on the cross or little baby Jesus in the manger, something like that. I wonder how many of you picture Jesus according to Revelation chapter 1 where fire is coming out of his eyes, a two-edged sword is coming out of his mouth, his face is shining like the sun in its full strength, his feet are like burnished bronze, his voice is like the roar of many rushing waters, and he's got the keys of death and Hades in his hand. Is that what you pictured? (laughs) Listen, Ricky Bobby, maybe your God is far too small. Maybe you do not have an image of Jesus in his preeminence that is so much bigger than you. When we look at this passage that talks about his preeminence, do you understand? It says way more in there than, than Jesus died in my place. Jesus is God, which is way outside of you. Like, we got to get over ourselves. This story is all about Jesus. Like, the Old Testament is about our need for Jesus. It's about the lineage of Jesus. It's about the prophecies to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. When you get into the New Testament, we start out with the Gospels. And the Gospels are all about what Jesus did, which glorifies Jesus. And so every time we have a baptism story or a redemption story on the screen, that's not about the people. That's about Jesus. That's telling Jesus' story over again, what he did. The glory goes to Jesus. That's the Gospels. And then the rest of the New Testament is setting up the church, which is raising up worshipers for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then there's revelation, which Jesus is coming back, and he will shine like the sun in our midst. It's all about Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, we need to get over ourselves and give preeminence to Jesus. You understand? In the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed has 111 words. 71 of them are about Jesus. The, the re, there's a reason why the known world dates its calendar by the life of Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, we need to get over ourselves and quit trying to compete with Jesus for preeminence in our own lives. That's a fool's errand. Jesus says, it says he is preeminent in everything. You're part of everything. He should have preeminence in your life. All right, so what do we, what do, we do with this? Because is this just like academic, theoretical, theological Remember when Jesus was interacting with that Samaritan woman at that well? And he had this to say He said, But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Do you want to know what God's looking for from you? Worshippers with spirit and truth. Now, when we do a creed, it's all about doctrine and theology. It's truth. And you can only worship God truly if you worship Him rightly. And you can only worship Him rightly if you worship Him truly. That is truth. We got to have truth. But He wants spirit and truth. Spirit's about heart, it's about passion. It's about no, when we hear about our Lord Jesus, something ought a spark within us that this moves us. Our, it, we don't want just like dull, hollow, empty, dry theology. We want theology, truth, but moves our spirit. It's spirit and truth. This should impact our hearts and lives. So here's the question. Does Jesus have preeminence in your life? This is what I want you to wrestle with today, this week. Does Jesus have preeminence in your life? Will you believe in him? Not just little baby Jesus in the manger, but like all of who Jesus is. Will you believe in him? Will you be in awe of him? Do you want to follow him? Like like when Jesus speaks into your life, he's not given an opinion. We're talking the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you want to follow him? Do you want to become like him? Do you want to be in a relationship with him? Do you want to serve his kingdom? Does Jesus have preeminence in your life? And I, I don't, this isn't just some altar call for non-Christians, no way. I mean this for Christians too because what we tend to do, we tend to treat the king of kings like he's our divine butler that we ring a little prayer bell and he's supposed to come running and do our bidding. That stops far short of the preeminence of Jesus on our life. And so my question is, who do you say Jesus is? Not just with your lips, but with your life. With every action, with every decision, with your goals, with your roles, with your passions, who do you say Jesus is? I want so much more for you than just to recite some religious creed. I want you to believe it. I want you to live it. I want you to enthrone Jesus in your heart to give him preeminence in your life. Amen? Let me pray for that. Father, we come to you right now desperate for Jesus, needing Jesus. We admit that we, we have this reduced view of who he is, and it's ridiculous. We want to move away from that and move to embracing, God, would you just take our puny little anemic view of Jesus and blow it up and give us a real view of him that we would be in awe of him and we would not even hesitate to give him preeminence in our life, to give him preeminence in our church, that he would be worshiped well here. And we pray for that in his name. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us as we respond? Let's recite this creed together in belief as we say it together. Let's say it, say it aloud. I believe in God the Father. Creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.